What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. I'm sitting in person right next to my good friend from a long time who is also the founder of a local startup company here in Colorado, and that is Mark Frank. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Evan. It's good to, this is the first time that I have recorded a podcast actually sitting right next to the person in the person's home. So if this doesn't sound as, as crisp as our crack production team puts out the rest of them, you can blame squarely me. Uh, but Mark, Or blame the acoustics, my kitchen. That's right. We have a, we're in a big room. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, introduce yourself to our listeners. For those of uh, who don't know you, if you're in Colorado, I assume they know you, but if you're not, they may not. So Go ahead and introduce. I would assume that they don't know me. Uh, My fame is not existent. So I'm the co founder and CEO of Sondermind. And more importantly, the uh, father of three children, one of whom shared a preschool class or two or three with your oldest son as well. That's how long we've known each other. That's right. (laughs) Since our kids were basically not walking. Yeah, like 10, 11 years. Yeah, long time. We're a little bit grayer. This point, me yeah. especially, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little less hair, although I didn't really have it in the first place. All right, so what is Sondermine? What does it do? So, we're effectively we're a behavioral health provider organization, so technology enabled, technology driven. But what we really wanted to do was build a system of care that let therapists join under our umbrella, let them focus on just providing excellent care via vr platform and then connect clients which is a moniker for patients or consumers to the right therapists but ultimately it's more than that so we actually are the care provider so we actually have partnered with all the major insurance plans in the markets which we operate so like in colorado for example literally every commercial plan that's here in colorado we're contracted with and our therapists take uh take those plans so So you contract with them on behalf of sondermind yep and then patients through you can access access. That's care. right. So within, so if somebody's looking for a therapist or looking for care, they go through our matching platform and within 24 hours, they've usually scheduled their first appointment with an in-network therapist who's perfectly matched to them, who's geographically proximate, who takes their insurance. And typically within five to seven days, they've finished their first appointment, whether it's in person or over video. Wow. So the, you just like hit the, the what I would call the, the three prongs of why people don't seek mental health care. And obviously, you know, this time during the pandemic and before, mental health is a big issue for a, a very large part of the population. The three reasons I always hear about why people don't seek out mental health is doesn't take my insurance because yep. some therapists don't take insurance. It takes forever to get in. Right. And yep. you're talking five to, to seven days. And I don't, how do I find someone I like or that is, you know, pertinent for to me. my needs? Yeah, exactly. And so um, without knowing the value proposition of Sondermind, that's what I would see at it, which I think is incredible. Is there, are there other things that you see that the consumers or the patients are really interested in and really gravitating to using your site? Yeah, that's, I mean, you hit on the big ones from the patient point of view. What we were really aiming to do is just get you to the to the best possible care. So we built, I mean, one of my board members said who built a big healthcare, uh, electronic healthcare system uh, called Athena Health. He was like, why are you building your own EHR? Why are you building your own practice management solution? Just use, you know, one of the hundred that are already out there. Right. right? Just practices just contract with, and then it's almost like a SaaS. That's right. So the reason we built our own was because I wanted to have an immense amount of data because in this field, especially it's really difficult to understand, well, what do actually the therapists do? Because they say they do everything because they're trying to widen their funnel of how they. It's like lawyers, like on our websites and our bios. Like I do this, this, and this. Yeah. yeah, All the things I do. And the reality is you probably have done some of those. Maybe the last time you did it was when you were a first year associate. Um, Yeah. Fair. Right. Yeah. But like you're good, probably at two or three things. And when you're in a firm, they go, well, let's, let's bring Evan in for this thing or let's bring, you know, Sarah in for that thing. And that's really, that's easy because you go to the firm, right? You go to Arnold and Porter, they've got what thousands of amazing yeah, thousand lawyers. You know, attorneys. Yep. And so whoever your primary attorney is, they're going to make sure that they bring in the right expert for the thing. Well, 
in mental health, that doesn't happen because these therapists are generally in their own solo practices. Yeah. Right. And focusing on one particular, like potentially focusing on one thing, or- maybe even more narrow than that. Yeah. Right. Like we have therapists who, you know, focus on uh, LGBTQ community, uh, age, you know, women age uh, 27 to 34 who are like struggling with uh, how to become parents or what, I mean, like maybe not quite wow. that narrow, but pretty darn narrow, or it might be more issue dependent. Hey, I really focus on adult ADHD, or I really focus on, you know, uh, trauma for veterans. And so what we do is we have all this information about what they actually do, not just by what they say, but because we built all the tooling that pulls in the diagnosis of all their clients, we, we track all the quality data. So there's uh, clinical assessments like things that are called PHQ-9 or GAD-7, yep. functional assessments. They measure, you know, depression or anxiety, respectively. So uh, who administers these? You? Our product. Uh, so this is all done in product. So this is where okay. when you're a patient, yep. right, you get that after your session. Hey, how was the thing? Oh, let's fill this thing out just on your phone. And then we track that. And then we can actually see, wow, this therapist yeah. says they do this and they actually do because we can see the patient population and is really good at it. Right. Like meaning good, not being like, oh, high MPS score, although that's a factor in our quality scoring, but it's a small factor. Good, meaning somebody who comes in with a severe level of depression, you know, 22 or greater on the PHQ-9, we bring them to subclinical on average within, call it, you know, eight, nine weeks. Um, So so this therapist tracking results. That's right. We're tracking efficacy of care. Yeah, that is awesome. So. I have to ask this question because everybody's scared of big data and we've had many privacy yeah, here right. here Yes. What are you doing with that data? It's How only are you using it? it's only for our own internal quality purposes. So, so I mean you're you're trying to like basically I want to find the best therapist in each space and I'm using patient data really yeah. um anonymized obviously to help the patients achieve even better results. That's, That's right. Pretty incredible. And to track it's like it goes back to the match. So if we know that, hey, patient A, let's say, you know, Jennifer is a therapist. My sister's name is Jennifer. She's a therapist. It's part of the founding story. Um, oh, we're going to, I want to get, we're going to go back in time. Okay. We'll go back in second. time. But let's say Jennifer's a therapist and she focuses on children in low-income houses, in low-income families um, struggling because they have been exposed to some form, some form of like trauma or abuse. And that's like her sweet spot. And on top of that, she also does maybe, you know, middle-aged women who are dealing with uh, transitions in life or something, I don't know, whatever. Like, so two or three areas. And maybe she wants to go into a a third area, a fourth area. And that's, I really want to work with veterans because my brother's a veteran or something like that. Well, that's great. You're previewing your story. That's right. I'm previewing it all. So we go, okay, now she says she wants to work with veterans. Let's send her a veteran. Oh, wow. She's actually not that good. So we have a whole provider coaching team that actually in our clinical team that works and identifies and says, hey, do you really want to do this? Or did you just like add that into your profile? Because we just, we're matching clients to you based on this, but we've seen that you're actually not that good at it. So let's help you via, you know, our own education practices so, like, get me, you better. That's incredible. So tell me what the, when you provide that type of feedback to the therapist, like what's the reaction when they sign up, do they know they're going to get that? Generally. Okay. Yeah. So are they receptive? Is it super receptive? Like, Cause yeah. you have to think about these therapists. They went into this field to help people, yeah. right? Like this is a calling. Fundamentally, that's what they're Fundamentally, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was like, it's a calling. They, like, yeah. just think about the economics behind, I, mean, the, the, I think the listeners are predominantly, you know, business people and people think about, you know, decisions a lot of times in terms of ROI, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the ROI on the path to becoming a therapist is terrible. It's you probably like, underwater by the time. It's way underwater. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You go, you get a, you get a, you know, college degree, you then get a master's while you're in, it's usually a three-year program because you have to do at least a year of internship yeah. where you're paying to yeah. do free set free therapy. Then once you get your master's, can you get licensed? No, not yet. You're in pre-licensure. So usually depending on the state, anywhere from 1500 to 3000 hours of supervised care that takes two to three years before you can even start like really earning. And so in that time, and then you're not earning very much. And then you're not earning the yeah. average therapist, the average master's level therapist in our country makes about sixty-five dollars to $75,000 per year. Think about the amount of training that we put them through because they're you know, dealing with mental health right. and, and that's extremely important for a large number of people. And then we get there, we get them there and they make $75,000. That's right. So 
when so they go into this for this calling, right? They go into this not to make a lot of money. Now, do they want to make an income? Absolutely. Yeah. Should they? Should they make more than they do? One hundred percent. That's part of our mission as well. Is like get them paid more. But they really go into this to help people. So when you're in that private practice, you're a solo practitioner. You're all by yourself. You see your client once a week, every other week, maybe once a month. You don't know what's going on. All, all you know is like what's happening. So yeah, you're not getting immediate feedback. You're not getting any feedback. Yeah. In fact, yeah. you're getting it through a lens of somebody who is going to you and has often problems like with the way that they see the world. Yeah. And so, I mean, I certainly do. So, like, yeah. You know, so you go to the therapist and they're like, well, is this person getting better? Is my care effective? Am I effective at this? Who yeah, do I talk so, to about this thing? You don't have somebody else sitting in the room watching what's going on yeah, and reading so you're, it. So you're improving both the outcomes of the individual patients and able to track them. So right. like you could intervene, for example, That's right. after four or five sessions and say, hey, this isn't going well. Right. Should we move this patient somewhere else? But you can also improve the But we really have to do that. We, we, we put all that feedback, we put all that data we collect, we give it right back to the therapist. Okay, so it's, so it's, they would be the ones who could say they do that. I'm not. So they go, that. hey, let me. You know, it's been two or three sessions. Let me try a different tact. It's not really working. Okay, that, and then at a certain point, they go, wow, like maybe I'm not. Again, they're helping people. They're not. Yeah. Like I'm in, not as effective as I want to be. Right. And the in maybe in the sort of normal private practice world, they wouldn't do that because they're like, well, this is a client. I want to. You know, I got to go find another one, and that's like income for me. But what we've done from a business model standpoint is we've basically given them a, like a spigot that they can turn on or off. So at any point they can go, nope, I'm send me new clients. And we're like, cool, here you go. Like wow. that are good for you, that are the right fit for you. All right. So what before we go into your backstory a little bit, what are the obstacles to the company at the moment? What have you guys had to overcome or are still overcoming to get to the next level? Scaling is a massive challenge. I mean, everybody says it, but you know, from a let's just take from an employee standpoint, although that's not like a metric of success. It's just a metric of uh, know, just, where we are. For our listeners, I went to the, what, which Star Wars premiere with Mark and I'm pretty sure almost his entire company a couple of years ago. Well, we had more than that. Yeah. Because it was a recruiting event. Yes. It would like fit in a very small movie theater. That's right. Can that happen today? Absolutely not. I mean, we had, what are we, we're in, you know, Q4 of 2021 right now. So three years ago, we had about 16 employees. Two years ago, we had about 35, 40 employees. One year, we had one year we had about 120 employees. And today we have 300 employees, more than that. So how do you bring so I've had a lot of CEOs <laughs> on the TMT time, fortunately. Thank you. Shout out to my former guests. They all have a different take slightly on how to bring those employees in and up and keep your culture going. How do you do it? How have you done it going from would you say 16 to 303 years in the midst of COVID? Yeah, working from home. <laughs> from right. home. Let's have let's add that remote onboarding for yes. the vast majority of the company. Complexity, yeah. Zoom, onboarding through Zoom. It is one of the like you know I, I I'm I am proud about that, and we have an amazing people ops team. We have amazing managers, amazing team leaders. Almost every and I, I meet with uh, every employee who joins uh, in a group meeting every other week. So all the new employees, I do the founding story. We have, we get to know them a little bit, and to a T, almost every single one has said this has been the best onboarding of any company I've ever been part of. And so that's a credit to just the, the team that is, is doing all that work. But it really does start with our core values. So we've, you know, we have, I mean, every company says this, right? But we we try to we try to live it in the way that we obviously hire and manage teams and promote and things like that, but also in other things, right? And so um we try to incorporate core values into the fun events that we do, right? We try to incorporate core values even into like our swag and stuff like that, right? And sort of the way that we, I mean, it's simple little things, but it's like, let's emphasize what actually matters to us. For the record, I am not wearing Sondermine swag yeah, right now up? on the way in, but I'm hoping to on the way out. <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll so you so do, do you, what are your core values? Where did they come from and how do they get to where they are? So our core, we have six core values. They're, they're words that have meaning behind the sort of Webster's definition that you'd find in the dictionary. So bucket worthiness, which you won't find in the dictionary, uh, a made up word. So that's kind of yeah. like- That's one of them. That's bucket one of worthiness. them. Okay. Bucket worthiness yeah. is the first one. So the, the six of them are bucket worthiness, empathy, transparency, courage, ownership, and passion. So what they all mean, bucket worthiness is like, you will hold your bucket 
And others can rely on you to hold your bucket and not let anything leak. So it's kind of like reliability. Right? And then what we actually do is we have example behaviors. So I three example I behaviors. I was wondering, because I think bucket worthy and I, I wonder what it is, but there you it's, go. yeah, it's great. Um, so we have these example behaviors that kind of subdefine it. Uh, empathy is really about assuming people's best intentions and, uh, and, you know, listening, checking in, being present. Transparency is, uh, we actually define, so, I mean, everybody talks about transparency and we, and, you know, maybe to a fault, I have a, I have too, too much transparency. I've had people rein me in a little bit. I, I, I face the exact same problem. Uh, I just had someone tell me last week that I shared too much. Yeah. TMI is something yeah. I, I hear a lot. Um, but for us, transparency in the company is say what you mean and mean what you say. You know, so if you're so, where does that come from? My dad like would say that to me all growing up. So there's a number of the core values that are just my core values, just things that are part yeah. of my personal core values. One of my uh, team members, my current chief of staff, who's an amazing guy, uh, former Navy SEAL for 11 years, SEAL officer, Naval Academy grad. He uh, wow, you hired a Naval Academy grad. I know it was it was a it was a bad move. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I've got a couple of Navy grads. Well, we're going to get grads. to the. Uh, Hoorah portion here in a second. But, <laughs> but he was going. like, he goes, well, how, what, he asked me, he's so insightful. He goes, what are you, I know the company core values. What are your core values? It's like, Dan, honestly, one of the coolest things about being able to start a company is you get to just yeah, you kind of, you, could, you can model you, it after yours. I can, and, I, I can be like your, authentic. Right? Yeah, your, your authentic self and what you aspire to be also. That's right, yeah. Um, so courage is really about taking risks and having the willingness to fail. Uh, and then learn from that failure. Ownership is actually more about taking action. And so like, hey, before asking somebody to do something or it's like having an, have an impetus towards taking action, have, taking the initiative. And then passion is really, uh, it's about passion for the mission, but it's actually a lot about passion for um, having loosely held uh, strong opinions. So really being able to like debate and, and sharing then commit, them. sharing them. And then when, you know, when we make a decision, uh, disagree, but commit. And that's, you know, obviously a refrain that's gotten popular from Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> the, so working at a law firm, um, it is hard to find leaders like yourself that have that kind of vision. I'll say that can put those types of core values forward. I, I want to surround myself with those types of people. Um, and for our listeners that don't know Mark's backstory. We're now going to get into it a little bit. Uh, I, I, when I first met Mark, you know, basically, I don't know, 11 years ago, he was at that time the most entrepreneurial person I had ever met in my entire life. So it is no surprise <laughs> to me that he is where he is today and, and the company is where it is today because I could see it back then. Um, why did you say that? Why, why do you think that? I, I mean, I was I had started a company, but like... Yeah, but you just... The way you talked about it with excitement and passion of wanting to basically build something that was your own. Mm. Um, and... Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, it was immediately apparent. Um, and also, a lot. Of, I learned a lot of life lessons from Mark, including like how to cover my nut every month and what it, how, how, to, <laughs> how, to, how to put it all together and, and be very conscious of that. Um, but also being very intentional with what I'm doing and, and spending your time wisely. So with all that giant long windup, which is longer <laughs> than I normally do, Mark is actually a military guy. Yeah. Um, and so tell us about that. You, I said, but you went to West Point. I did. Yeah. Uh, I was just, somebody asked me about this a, a couple of weeks ago. They were like, have you always been fairly entrepreneurial? And if you would have asked me that even 10 or 11 years ago, I probably would have said, no, I don't think so. Um, but he, it, he was starting businesses that like, he's like a garage, you know. I did. I was thinking about that. I, I was actually like, what was like the first business? It wasn't a real business, but I, I uh, we'll talk about my sister, Jennifer, my younger sister, who's now a therapist. Uh, but I think when I was seven years old, I opened a quote toy store in my room to sell my old toys to her. <laughs> she was the only customer. I hope so, so. Mark and I both like Legos. I hope you didn't sell your Legos. I did not sell the but Legos. I know you haven't because I've seen some of them over here. That's right. I saw plenty of Legos. Yeah. So I, um, I've always been, I think, fairly entrepreneurial, especially in retrospect. It's it's more apparent to me. But when I I went to West Point, really to learn leadership, like that was my. And there are a few places that can teach leadership better than West. Point. Yeah, that was, I mean, the, you know, I, I wanted to lead organizations. I mean, that I was drawn 
I didn't necessarily know I was drawn to entrepreneurship, even though I was. It wasn't as apparent to me when I was 17, 18 years old, but I always was drawn to leadership roles uh, in high school and beyond and, and earlier than that as well. And so I knew I was drawn to that. So went to West Point, studied computer science. Um, back when actually, I mean, my class, we started like 1300 in our class. We graduated about 900, wow. which is pretty normal attrition. Uh, I think in my graduating class, there were 16 other computer science majors. Wow. This is an engineering school, right? Like everybody yeah, gets a bachelor of science. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was early. I always loved coding and things like that. Uh, went into the army, served, you know, that's what brought me out of Colorado. So served at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs yep. for five years. Uh, I was in Iraq for OIF-1, so the initial invasion for the first year there. Yep. So you were actually deployed? Yep. Deployed. Uh, I was a company executive officer at the time when we deployed. So that means like second in command of a company of about 120 soldiers. Um, you know, a lot of fun, like throughout the five years, a lot of cool stuff. And just gave service. I mean, you gave yeah, public service. It was, so. it was, yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it was an honor. It really was an honor. Like, uh, and I was very fortunate to have been in leadership roles my entire time as a lieutenant, as a second lieutenant, as a first lieutenant. So I, I got moved out of leadership uh, as a captain because that's what happens. You go on yeah. staff and then you have to go to the captain's course if you're going to stay longer than the five years, uh, which I didn't. But uh, usually you only have about 12 to 18 months of platoon leader time. And I had like almost three years. So I was just, I was able to command three different platoons over that time. I was a company executive officer as well. And so that was, again, just fortunate. Like I was very lucky. I had a really, really good. But your squads and team were also fortunate. Well, right? I mean, maybe they wouldn't say that, but yeah. my, uh, my my battalion <laughs> we commander. It's the country we were fortunate. Yeah, my, my battalion, I had a really good leader. My battalion commander, um, which is the battalion is like 800 to 1,000 soldiers. He was an amazing uh, mentor of mine and leader. Uh, he actually, and then sort of his career has, has played out that success and, and his leadership skills. He recently retired as a four-star general. Wow. There's like six four-star generals in the army. Like he's yeah. top, of, you know, top of the bunch. Uh, if anybody remembers, there was in June of 2020, they said, we're doing this Operation Warp Speed. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. And they said, there's this like CEO, pharma guy who I think was head of Operation Warp Speed. And then they had this chief operating officer of Operation Warp Speed. Uh, was a four-star general named Gustav Perna, and that was him. That was, so wow. that was Lieutenant Colonel Perna was my my and he senior was doing healthcare at that point, basically. Right? Basically, at that yeah. point, yeah. I mean, it was you know, this is like way at the end of his career. So um, anyway, so I had a great time in the army. Uh, I actually, I mean, I I got a real estate license. I got back from Iraq, and I so was this like, "This is more entrepreneurial, <laughs> right?" I mean, in- I was like, "I'm not going to pay somebody to." sell my house. Yeah. So I bought a condo in Colorado Springs and, you know, it's 2004. I'm like, I can do this. And so I got a real estate license and then I did some deals here and there. I had a friend of mine who had a real estate company. So he brought me in as an associate broker and I still have my, my real estate license today just to purchase See, my that, own properties. I did not know. So I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning here right along with the you rest didn't know of that? it. No. Um, yeah. So I can represent myself. Like when I bought this house, I was that was the buyer's agent. Yeah, you're going to deal yeah. with me. I'm yeah. the agent. I'm going to take my commission. <laughs> That's right. I'll just put this to the closing yeah. cost. Um, and so I, and I'd, I'd gotten a master's while I was in the army as well. So I did a, a master's in computer information systems. Um, so I was really debating, do I go to business school or not? And I, you know, threw out some applications and, and then was fortunate to get into a few different schools and was deciding where to go. Um, and ultimately chose to go to, to Kellogg and uh, did the two-year full-time program at, at Northwestern. And they actually said, hey, why don't you do this like extra program, which is a, the same period of time, but you get a second degree oh. while you're there. So I got a master of engineering management um, uh, in that program so as well. For those keeping track at home, that's three masters. Which is ridiculous because like, yeah. I don't even know how to use any of them for anything. And I'm not smart enough to say I have three masters. So it's yeah. just like yeah. uh, somehow I skated by. It was like, yeah. Um, so I, and it's funny, I went to business school. I actually chose Kellogg over some more finance oriented schools that were on the East coast. Uh, Cause I had read like monkey business and yeah. liars poker. Yeah. And I was like, all right, uh, I know what I don't want to do, which is I don't want to do investment banking. Um, so I was like, let me go to Kellogg. I'll do consulting. I'll go to McKinsey or Bain or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then I set up an internship for myself before business school started. So I got out of the army in the spring and then business school starts in the fall. I was like, well, I'm not going to, I don't know what to do for the summer. So I'll just, yeah. I'll just find a guy who, you know, can give me a job. Yeah. 
so the guy was a HBS grad and a West Point grad from like, he was HBS, you know, 72 or something like that. So he had done consulting for his whole career. So I'm like, hey, I'll work for him. Yep. And you uh, meet, meet him through the West Point network. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he's in an advisory kind of role. He's later in his career. He, was, he had been a senior guy at a big firm. And long story short, I worked directly for him over the whole summer. Still keep in touch with him. Great guy. I keep in touch with his son a little bit as well. He's like a director at Amazon now. And at the end of the summer, he's like, Mark, well, for one, he wasn't doing consulting. It's like he's actually doing MA advisory work because uh, he had focused a lot of his career on like merger integration. Yeah. So it was, a, it was an MA advisor firm called CDI Global, like across cross border, small firm, um, like 25 offices around the world. And he's now CEO of that firm. And so he's like, Mark, you, you could do consulting, but I think you're going to like stab your eyes out. Like you, you like to get stuff done. Yeah. I think you're going to get really, really frustrated. Here's my suggestion. My suggestion, his suggestion was actually, you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, nah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I should do that. He's like, you should for sure do that. His wife had gone to Stanford business school and he's like, you should go to, you know, move to the Bay area. I was like, ah, I don't know. So I ended up falling into banking. I did, I was at Lehman for the summer uh, (laughs) in 06. Oh, right? perfect timing. Perfect timing. And so I, uh, you know, I have an offer for Lehman. I choose to go to Morgan Stanley. Um, and everybody is like, are you going like every retrospect? They're going yeah. like, how did you know? Like, how did yeah. you know to not go to Lehman? Like, that yeah. was like the hot firm. Yeah, what? Like, why did you not it take your offer firm. from Lehman? Right. Like, why did you just, did you see something when you were there for the summer? I'm like, no, I didn't see anything. Yeah. I just like wanted to do healthcare. Morgan Stanley, uh, the head of healthcare was the head of the Chicago office at the time. And Morgan Stanley is only one of the few bulge brackets that did full MA execution. You wanted to do healthcare that long ago. Oh, yeah, because my ex-wife was a nurse. She became a nurse practitioner. And so I was really interested in healthcare. Um, and so yeah. I was like, well, here's an here's a thing that's really complex, um, interests me, and has an impact. Yeah. And so and there's if, a lot of different. If I'm gonna sell my soul to the it. devil by going into investment banking, I might as well do, I might as well do some good. Some good. Yeah. Um it was an it was an amazing time. Uh, Morgan Stanley's great firm. You know, I was there from 07 to 09. Somehow made it through all the cuts, and then you know got, got my bonus. <laughs> Waited to make sure it yeah. cleared cleared the bank account, yes. and then a day later, I walked in and said, "Hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to, move to Colorado, and I'm going to start a company that's a radiation oncology business, um, healthcare, treating patients yeah. with brain tumors and lung cancer. And I have an investor who's going to be." putting money behind it. And that's what I, when I met you, that's what you were Yeah, doing. it was about a year in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, people were like, what are you, crazy? Like, yeah. what do you know about running healthcare businesses? I don't know, I'll figure it out. <laughs> like, I'm going to lead. Yeah. And then I'm going to build something. So, yeah, so this was, you know, I, I moved the family out. You know, Ethan was, um, he was about one at that point and uh, started what was originally called Denver CyberKnife. It became Nova Cancer Care and built Next Oncology around that, which was a management service organization. And, uh, you know, it was a good outcome. You know, I sold the business. It had a little less than eight figures of revenue and like, you know, 25% free cash flow margins. Um, and, you know, when I sold it, it was a 12X for the outside investor. So a good That's six good. year return. And then you started, then you went into mental health. Yeah. Well, it was like, there was, I, I overlaid all these things, right? Yeah. So trying to think like a year and a half into to next oncology, I started Safe Image MD, yep. which was a software platform for storing and sharing and viewing medical imaging data. Uh, so my former employee who was a medical physicist, he now runs like National Geosis Research Lab for quantitative uh, so he's, imaging he's detection. Dumb. He's like, he's a he's really PhD in bioengineering and a focus on imaging informatics. Yeah. Idiot. After he was a medical physicist, after he had advanced yep. degrees in medical yep. physics. So he was my co-founder. And then we had a third uh, really strong co-founder, ar- architect, developer guy, Sid Dennis, who is now my CTO for Sondermine. So I've worked with Sid for like a decade. Wow. Um, but we built this thing nights and weekends. We got that to cash flow positive. We sold that to a personal health record company. Didn't raise any outside capital. That was overlapped with the two. Um, so kind of a side gig. Uh, and side, then- He's got a side entrepreneurial gig. Did uh, Term Scout. Not the yeah. current term scout, term scout, but the yeah. yeah, the sales intelligence platform, uh, which is a data company. God, see, this has been and then remember back when I said when I first met you, I was like, Yeah, he's the most entrepreneurial person. <laughs> this this is all bearing. I just here. couldn't uh, I couldn't sit still. I I have uh I used to think I was really, really impatient, but I have a board member who says you're more wired for urgency than anybody I know. <laughs> and so uh, Sondermind really came about from um I actually started really thinking about it initially. Because um, my sister 
So Jennifer yeah. is a little, she's like less than two years younger than me is a therapist. So, and my cousin, uh, Michelle is a clinical psychologist. Her husband's a psychiatrist and my, mostly my sister, like she went through this journey of finishing her master's, going and working at an agency for a number of years as an employed provider, employed therapist, and then going into private practice and just struggling with all the things around it. Yeah. And I'm sitting here running a management service organization and I know healthcare and I'm like, every vertical within healthcare has lots of companies that provide business services and sort of make it easy for the Dude, clinicians. The, the back office solutions. Yeah, provide. like they just like, like, let's do everything. So you can provide, yeah. you can focus on doing great clinical care yeah. and we just do the rest, right? And, and the rest, there's a whole wide range, right? It could be as simple as we're the EHR. It could be as, you know, kind of all encompassing as like a US oncology kind of model, right? Yep. And next oncology was more like that, more of the sort of like full oncology, you know, full MSO model. Yep. And so I was just shocked that there weren't, that that hadn't happened in mental health um, and that the industry was so very fragmented. I mean, these, these therapists of which there's about 700,000 in the country, uh, mental health providers. It's really, there's a lot of Yeah. Them. So, I mean, not to out myself, but obviously I, I have used mental health providers in the past and, and coaches and whatever yep. as family members have as well. It is, it is a, this is, it's a struggle mm -hmm. to do the things that I said earlier, the how, that's why I was called your value add at the beginning without even talking to you about it, because I've seen it and I've sensed the frust frustrations from the client side, and I can imagine it exists on the therapist yeah. side as well. Yeah, so that, that was like the initial, the like, oh my gosh, there's this thing, but I was I had two or three things running at the time, and I couldn't, you know, take on, I mean, at that point, I was like, I'm not taking too, on another too one. Too many yeah. side entrepreneurs. Yeah, uh, but I had it in the back of my mind. Well, fast forward a couple of years, you know, it's like 2012. My youngest son is born, you know, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's born a couple of years earlier, and we have three kids in three and a half years which is just bonkers, busy, uh, busy got business stuff going on. Stressful. Yeah, like a daycare right? running out of the house for a time. At that too, point, right? not yet, but yeah, yeah, later on we yeah. did. Um, but just stressful, right? Like a lot of stress yeah. in the household, wanted to find a therapist and I knew healthcare, right? I'm like operating a healthcare business. I contract with all the insurance companies for, you know, for the oncology company. And I knew the parity act had been passed along with Obamacare, the yep. Affordable Care Act. So that meant like, Mental health care is has to be covered at par with yeah. your physical health benefits, which is so ridiculous that it took that took a law. Yeah, it took a law to, to do that, that in 2009. I, mean, I think today most people would say that mental health is more important. Yeah. than the well, it drives health. physical stuff too. I mean, it is insane to me that that took yeah. that a law in 2008 for for the insurance companies essentially to start covering it at a level commensurate with physical health. That's right. Incredible. So I knew that had been passed. I knew healthcare, you know, I was sort of, from a knowledge standpoint of how to operate within the healthcare system, I was probably in the top 1% of the populace because most yeah. people don't know how our healthcare system right. works. So I'm like, I pay all this money for my premiums. I'm both the employer and the employee. So I'm paying yeah. out of both pockets. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to use my insurance. I can afford to pay yeah. out of pocket, but man, yeah. I'm stubborn. I'm going to like use these I, things, no, right? Like it's ridiculous. So I go on the insurance but, directory. But you could do that, but there are so many people who who can't cannot get mental health care oh, no. unless insurance pays. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I go on the insurance directory. I go, I'm looking for a therapist, right? Mental health provider. I put in my zip code. I put the drop down for mental health provider. I check the box that even says like accepting new patients. Yeah. There's a list of people. Oh, sweet. There's like there's like a hundred. It's yeah. gonna be easy. Like you darts. know, like do some like yeah. I call, I look up someone, you know, Google or whatever. Okay, let me call the first one. She doesn't answer. I leave a message. Wait a few days. Call back. Still no answer. I'm like this is weird. Like what's up with that? Like you know, I'm running a I'm running a healthcare business. Like yeah. we have a, we have a receptionist all the yes. time, right? Yes. Like um, so call the next one on the list. Same thing. Next one on the list. Same thing. Next one. I get in touch with her. Someone, I'm done. Yeah. Finally, it's only been three weeks. Therapist. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I don't take insurance anymore. Yeah. Like what? We talk about you're like a network. You have to for them right? to take insurance. The next one's like, oh, like I actually moved to Pueblo, right? Oh. You know, like, or the next one is I, I only see, you know, patients, whatever, on Fridays at, you know, 2 p.m. or something. And like on and on it goes. It took three months to find somebody. And I remember thinking during that process, you know, I'm only uh, doing, I'm only dealing with like sort of family strife, like, yeah. you know, sort of like stress in the household. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. Suicidal. severely depressed, suicidal, yeah. you know, I didn't have substance abuse disorder. I don't have some serious mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And I just moved to a new market and I have to find a therapist because yeah. otherwise, you know, it's going to be real, real problematic. Um, 
I was like, what, what do those people do? So, okay, cool. Like that's a thought in my head. I go to the, we go to our first session, the whole experience, like the clinical care is good, but the experience, you know, it sucks. Like, yeah, it's in the evening. You got to like text beforehand. She like says, Oh, I'll be right there. Cause the, the doors are closed. Oh, you you gotta like, you go to the basement session. office. Cause there's, yeah. that's the only place where the can landlord afford, right? can afford. Yeah. And it's like yeah. no windows there. Yeah. And then, you know, the session's good. The clinical care is good, but you want to reschedule your next appointment. And that's like, Oh, let me get back to you. You try to text and you can't it's busy schedules. And then you miss it and you got to pay the no-show fee. And then you want to pay for your copay. Cause she is See, taking no, insurance. So you are like basically enunciating my response to enduring this type of problem, which we have. And but give you, up. Right. But you will give up an entrepreneurial path there. Well, I'm a stubborn guy, yeah. right? Like for better or worse, I'm pretty pigheaded. And so I'm like, you know, when that was, when that meant getting care, I was like, no, we're going to do the thing. I'm going to make it happen. Most people, they give up. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah, not a fault. Not that's like, it. it's just not worth it or whatever. Yeah. And then you go, you don't get care. Things get worse. You know, and all these bad things happen. And so that to me, it was like, wow, there's a real opportunity here to solve this. I can build stuff. I know yeah. how to build technology in healthcare. I know how to build MSO kind of organizations and deal with providers. I know how to deal with insurance. I know how to do revenue cycle management. I can do all these things. Yep. Moreover, you know, my sort of computer science brain is like, what's interesting about this field more so than I think any other aspect of healthcare is it needs data. Yeah. And it it's yeah, actually it's like improved. It actually does. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just think about it. you can you can almost in every part of your physical health you can get a binary di diagnosis. Now it might take a you know it might take a whole decision tree to get you down. Right? Sure, but right. like so, there's like differential diagnosing, but you can get to the point. You can where get to the point where, like, do you have X or Y? Yeah, right? right. Yes or no. Now, yes, there's rare cases, but for the vast majority of things that we treat, it's a yes or no. Yeah. Do I have this thing? And then you, if, let's say it's cancer, you stage it, and then yeah. based on that, you look at other factors and you go, well, based on these factors, we're going to choose from one of you know ten clinical pathways, you know, yeah. treatment plans here. And you put that in action. And those treatment plans are based on data, are based on user studies, are based on like what Clinical actually gets studies. the yeah, best outcomes, right? Yes. Well, let's it's, compare that's, that to that's, mental health. You just described what evidence-based evidence medicine That's evidence-based care, yeah. And so yeah. then you go, on top of all of that, what doesn't affect your diagnosis in those cases? Like completely external factors. So, hey, if uh, you know there's a terrorist attack, does that affect your cancer diagnosis? No. Right. If there's an attempted coup on, you know, the, on on this on the you've lost on the capital. If you've lost your job, if you've had a death in the family or a loved one Do or something like that, none your, of those things will affect your cancer diagnosis directly. Uh, right. Even or even more to the point, like your heart diagnosis right. or your or anything else. That's what I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying cancer. Be affected. But I'm saying like yes. any physical diagnosis is yeah. not affected by these external factors. Right. Now, based on the data, is the way that it's analyzed. That's right. Right. But now you look at like your mental health. Well, first. The diagnosis is not binary. In fact, is depression, depression is a diagnosis and it's a symptom. Right. Right. Because so you could be like depressed because of some latent trauma that hasn't been dealt with, or you could be depressed because you have an inherent bias towards depression. Yeah. Right. Like there's lots of, or you could be depressed from totally environmental reasons. Depressed because you have too much anxiety. I mean, right. there's all, there's all of kinds of things. things yeah. Right. So the diagnosis is not binary and it's completely impacted by external factors. It's impacted, and not just external factors like all those things I just mentioned, external factors like what do you eat? How do you sleep? Do you get exercise? Right? Do you exercise? All yeah. these things affect your do mental you health. Healthy like, relationships. Right? All you, these I mean, things. All of it. So if you can't get the diagnosis right, how can you get the care right? The care right. Yeah. There is no clear pathway to the exact. That's like, right. We're going to follow this decision tree to get to the to That's the right. And why not? Because there's way too many variables. We're not talking yeah. two or three or 10 variables. We're talking 10,000 variables all the time. Now, what technology has been developed in what industry that takes in 10,000 variables and comes up with some solution? Advertising, right? So think about like how we've used machine learning to predict behavior, yeah, you know, consumer behavior. We've we've like it's what like Amazon does when they follow you around the internet. Everything does it, right? Thing, right? Facebook yes. does it, Google, everything. Yeah. So like yep. we advertise and market today, the way we do it today, when you compare it to like Don Draper. In yeah, Mad Men, yeah, is ridiculous, right? Like, what Don Draper goes, All right, I'm like, I got an ad campaign tomorrow, I got a pitch. Let me yeah. go, like, drink a bottle of whiskey behind my typewriter and, like, yeah. bang something out. Hopefully, it flies and they'll, like, yeah, either no. buy it or not, right? Yeah. Like, cool, maybe I'll do a focus group with like six people, yeah. right? Good luck <laughs> with that. And that's like how we did it for a long time. That's like kind of how we do mental health care today. Think about that, yeah, right? And we have the tooling for it. So, this is where we built the whole underlying platform. 
We built the electronic health record system. We built the practice management solution. We built our own video and text therapy all and all this sort of stuff, all homegrown. Stuff. So right. You, this we, is part of just a single vertical technology. Right. Stack. We built all, I mean, internal. it's like, it's, you know, microservice and stuff like yeah. that, but like, yeah, it's all our code base. Yeah. And then we go, now let's, and we just bought this company, Quantify, which is a predictive analytic data science company that's been building models, taking in external data points. So plugged in with like Fitbit, social data that you can opt into. So you can get a picture of like, hey, what are the things that are happening to me? Am I sleeping less? Oh, why not? Like, mm. is my heart rate higher at certain points of the day? Oh, let me let me actually put a note in my journal around that. And then let me couple that with other things. And let me couple that with med management. And let me couple that with a therapeutic approach. Yeah. And let me see, does CBT actually work better? Or is... Is you know gestalt therapy a little better for this thing, and let's pull all these things together. Do you treat adults and kids? Is it, yep. 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 And it's all um, video, right? You said that's part of your your technology stack. Is it's it not all like, video. So pre-COVID, we were yeah. all in person. Wow. So, so we, how many states were you in pre-COVID? Um, let's like see. That was here, February Arizona. 2020. We were in five. We just yeah five states. So what are the impediments? No, no, sorry, four states. Is it licensures? What are the impediments to move in each state? Licensure, regulatory, uh, like different regulatory environment yeah. within states. I mean, yeah. every state in healthcare in our country is kind of like a different country. Yeah. Um, so. Which is why the he mental health varies widely, widely yeah. from state to state. And then the insurance plans are set up that way because of the regulatory environment. All right. So you are building the stack and hiring people and bringing them in and it's now it's like both a business but also a passion project yeah. at the beginning and base so and we I, had a real estate piece to it as well you yes, might remember that yes i remember pre-covid okay, well so, way before pre i mean like yeah so when i founded the company so when sean and i founded the company my co-founder sean sean boyd who's himself a therapist and he became the president of the colorado counseling association and like the western region chair for the american counseling association uh -huh. sean and i had part of the model that was like, uh, you could think it was like, we work for therapists. Oh, actually, you know what? I do remember this. Yeah. And you could provide, because provide space and real space was hard. a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. So therapists could get really nice space, yeah. right? So like in Denver. Back then, a different problem too. Pre-WeWork. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that's right. It is pre-WeWork. So we, and we structured it in the, you know, I still think it was the right thing to do, but VCs hate it, which is like, we had it structured as a franchisor. Because like, well, what's a good way, what's a good capital efficient way to grow a real estate footprint? Yeah. Franchising, right? The yep. franchisees, you know. So uh, built that up. Therapists could use the space, you know, by the hour, by the day, by the, they could have their own space, you know, for the whole year or whatever. Uh, and they could, you know, see clients in Cherry Creek or in Lakewood or, you know, different parts, you know, yep. whatever market they're in. In 2017, we separated the company into two. And, uh, and that company is now called Humanly, the separated company. Oh, I didn't even know so it still it's, existed. Oh, yeah. Wow. We've got, you know, it's in four states. Uh, Sean, my co-founder CEO, runs that. Different investor wow. set. I'm still on the board. Um, wow. I didn't know 22 that. locations, uh, franchisees in uh, Colorado, See, so that's like Georgia, and side Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, just so, me as a trying to be helpful hits, board member. And what changes? Well, so when we separated the business, Sondermind became everything. It wasn't the real estate, but that that still meant our therapists were delivering care in person. They might have had their own space. It wasn't necessarily like humanly or Sondermind space. Yep. So we were already building our tech platform for yep. the video care. Uh, we had actually in February of 2020 launched our text messaging platform because at the time that was that was like much more uh, sought after by clients, by individuals. They were yep. looking for kind of the text therapy piece. Was, it, was the regulatory environment pre-COVID such that you ne couldn't necessarily do Zoom or no. video? No, we, we, you still could. We were just like, we were basically, we launched our text therapy platform in beta in February, 2020. We were going to launch our video platform uh, in beta in May of 2020. And so COVID hits, you know, it's like the, it was like the second week of March. I was like, all right, we need this thing launched in eight days. This thing that was like supposed to be launched in beta. We need it launched yeah. like live, ready for use, fully locked down. I mean, security is a big deal, obviously, in healthcare. Yeah. Um, so it was like all hands on deck. I mean, did you 20 have to hour days to make sure it's HIPAA compliant too? Because we had to, we had to do yeah. all that. Yeah. So like 20 hour days for the whole team. But we literally went from, I think it was, I'll get the dates not perfectly right, but something like March 15th to March 25th or 23rd or something like that. From when I was like, we need to launch this thing ASAP to when we actually launched it 
And within the first 48 hours, I think we had three support requests from therapists. Mind you, at that point, we were doing 20,000 sessions a month. Um, and so we went from being 100% in February, 2020, 100% in person care or like 99% in person yeah. care to in April of 2020 being 93 or 94% uh, on our video platform with no is drop. It, is it? An, it was in, actually an increase internal of, platform. That's part of your own stack. Yeah. Wow. And that's HIPAA compliant. Yep. And so are you totally like, it's totally locked in with the scheduling stuff we've built with all the, I mean, like it, you know, that their clients can use it on their app and therapists can use it on their app and on the computer and everything else. So how many sessions are you doing a month right now? Uh, we can't disclose that right now, but we're, uh, we have right now, like greater than 30,000 active clients or patients, um, which active means they've done a session in the last 30 days. And we average, you know, our, our clients aren't like, Hey, let me go see a therapist and let me keep seeing the same therapist every week for the rest of my life. Right. Like most of our clients see a therapist for, you know, 10 to 12 sessions. And that's over a three or four month period. So we kind of turn that over that, that client base. We kind of turn over every three or four months. What percent are you virtual now versus in right now? It's, it depends pretty widely based on market. Um, so state by state, state by state, but, but on an average across the whole network, we're at like 70% virtual 30% in person. That's actually, that surprises me. The number but the, of people going in, in person, the in-person demand is higher than that. Really? On both of the, certainly on the, on the client side. So on the consumer side, it's like 50 to 60% one in person. And, uh, and so you have to match them with people locally within driving distance, I assume. Well, we do that anyway. Now, are so, they, oh, so even the person virtually. We do that okay. yeah, locally. Because the whole idea is, again, back to sort of like clinical, back to quality and yeah. what's clinically, like the most clinically efficacious care. Yeah. So, you know, look, everybody listening and you and I both know you can do things virtually, right? You can do your, yeah. your meeting with your, your client, right? Virtually yeah. court, you um, can go to court, virtually. you can go to court virtually, but is it as effective, right? Like, you know, it's fine as a, as an in-between, like yeah, it's, it works, it I works, mean, it's, but it's serviceable, but there's nothing like human interaction. I mean, and just, just this podcast session, yeah. it's more fun than, it's more fun. I, yeah, yeah. Like, and like now think about too, like what's actually happening in the therapy session. Connections. Like connection. Trying to make connections. Like it's yeah. about human connection. Yeah. It's about building trust. Like yeah. it's the core is about building trust. So yeah. the whole thesis all along, when we, we were launching, we were building our video platform before COVID. I mean, I used to have VCs come to me all the time and say, why aren't you just doing this all virtually? This is all going to go virtual, right? Yeah. No. I was like, it's not. It's definitively not. These therapists didn't go into this field to sit behind a computer at all. Yeah. No. And people want human connection. It. They're not good at it, but people yeah. want human connection. Totally. And so we're going to build something that allows you to have your cake and eat it too. So even if you, if you match them with somebody locally, they could have the option of it's a bad day at the they house. They definitively so have the option. I can go to virtual they always or have I can go. Because it's all built into our platform. Yeah. That's a, that's so there's no therapist and say, I don't, I can't do this. Now, so, so people in Colorado are not working with people in Phoenix. That's right. For example. Okay. I mean, obviously unless like, probably unless the that. person, unless like it's Colorado citizen who's like in Phoenix because they're yeah. there for a work trip and they want to not miss their session, then absolutely they can do that. Right. Interesting. Is there, I don't want to call it like a subscription-based model, but are there packages where, where patients could sign up and get some kind of Sondermine baked in discount or rebate in order to like sign up for 10 sessions or anything like that? No. So usually when you use your insurance, you're not allowed to do that. And that's why I mean, right. I was yeah. asking, but so yes, yeah. yeah, so insurance, they'll say, all right, we're going to cover 75% of 40% of 30% right, right, yeah, of yeah. copay. Well, I mean, ours, like an average. No, the, the question that I was asking is like, does, could Sondermine as part of its business model offer that kind of. A consumer, like a direct yeah. consumer offer. Yeah, we, yeah. we could, we don't. Okay. I mean, the 95% of all of our volume are people using their in-network insurance benefits, okay. wow. which means. 95%. Almost everybody's using. Like, wow. yeah, I mean, it's really built to solve that problem that I was saying from the very beginning, whereas like the vast majority of Americans can't access this care. So let's give them like, this is, it's a shame. Even a, though they have healthcare in that instance, health coverage. That's right. right? It's, I mean, it's crazy, right? You can find, you can use your insurance and go find the best neurosurgeon in the country. Anywhere you want. Anywhere you want, right? Network. And yeah. they're a network. You can't find them at the you healthcare can't find provider like in your city. Any net, yeah. I mean, there's somebody around the block. And so crazy. it was really about solving that key problem. Is there an avenue for people who don't have health insurance to use the platform? Yeah, we have a cash free rate that's really affordable. Oh, okay. So, awesome. um, so we have that, uh, it's, I mean, it's basically like our kind of low income, 
yeah. rate. The reality is vast majority of Americans have either Medicaid, which yeah. we don't, it's the one plan we don't take. And that's mostly because it's actually not because of payment. So yeah. Medicaid, it's like, it's hard. Behavioral health is, is upside down world. Yeah. Like in the rest of healthcare, Medicaid is the lowest payer. Yeah. In behavioral health, it's usually the highest. Commercial plans are usually lower than Medicare in behavioral health. And in the rest of healthcare, commercial is usually like 100x percent of Medicare. So it's just like upside down world when you're in behavioral health. And the ridiculous thing is, is that all of society would benefit if there was more mental health. And oh, by the way, the insurance companies do benefit. Like there's lots of studies out there that show how you reduce total cost the of actual care. actual studies, I'm sure, support They're that definitive. if you're in better yes. mental health, you will spend less will, on them for physical that's health. That's right. You will reduce ER yes. visitation by 13.5% on an annual basis. Yeah. And that's, that's a fact. Yes. Yet it's still impossible for people to get mental health care. Yeah. And they want to fight it. I mean, I have no from personal experience. It's yeah. I'm going to limit... Many plans used to limit the amount of sessions you could have. They, I mean, some may still. Well, like, that's what right. the Parity Act solved. Yeah, you so get now 20. they can't. Right, but United get, Healthcare got sued a couple of times for that because it's ridiculous. All right, you could you have thirty five visits to, to your mental health therapist this year. Yeah. That's it. Whereas you can go in and, and check on your hurt finger as many, many times as you want. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, this has been amazing, Mark. We have been going for well over my normal time limit. Um, oh, sorry. So <laughs> at, at the end of every session, I do ask lots of guests what they're doing for fun. I know a lot of the stuff that you're doing for fun. Sondermine just took on additional money, became a unicorn in Colorado. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means a valuation north of a billion dollars. One of the few Colorado companies that has done that over the last couple of years and in the healthcare space. Uh, we're lucky to have you based in Colorado. So since you live here, and now that you are sort of on the other side of this latest round, what are you doing outside of the office when you have just a smidge of free time? Yeah, I was saying that's... Yeah, those eight <laughs> the, minutes a day yeah, the, the, like, that you have to yourself. If I could play poker more, I would. Yeah. Uh, right. I love playing poker. I love to ski. I've been, I used to mountain bike back when I was young and stupid, and now I'm old and stupid. And so I'm mountain biking again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just hang out with, uh, my good friend, Evan Rothstein. Well, I, I appreciate your time, Mark Frank. This has been terrific CEO of Sondermine. Thank you for joining us on TMT time.